next reading is from Luke chapter 18, verses 18 to 25. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad, because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The second reading is from Timothy, chapter 6, verses 6 to 10. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, so this term, our teaching is following the theme of living like Jesus. Uh, for anyone who's new around here, first of all, um, once again, hello. I'm glad to have you with us. And um, second, this is our vision as a church. So uh, to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus and to do what he did or what he would do if he were you today. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, which is probably the best summary of what the church is Four. Um, if you've ever wondered what church is all about, the answer from the Bible, the answer Jesus gave was for people to come and follow him and to teach others to do the same. That's it in a nutshell. And in June, we're taking a break from this series in James, um, Living Like Jesus, to zoom in on the subject of generosity and stewardship and how we think about and handle our resources and a huge part, proportion of the Bible's teaching and Jesus' teaching focuses on money and generosity. Somebody uh, once calculated that something like one in eight verses of the Bible relates to this subject. So it's an important theme. Now, back in November, I came to the church to you with a, a specific request for people to review their giving to the church. We were facing a situation where the shortfall between our regular giving and our running costs was going to see the church uh, run out of money in about two years. It was looking bad and we were facing um, some, some pretty tough decisions. Now, I should say that your response to that was incredible. Um, those of you who were at the annual general meeting, the APCM, a few weeks back, we'll see, we'll see how, how giving has essentially increased by almost 25%. Bear in mind that that was during the time, that was November, the time when the news headlines were all about the cost of living crisis. 
And our finances are, are looking you know, a bit better now. The trajectory, I think, is five years now rather than two before our reserves are gone. We're still away from breaking even, but things are a lot better than they were. And I think this gives us this opportunity to look at this key subject of generosity and giving without the context of an ask. Um, I mean, yes, if you're not giving regularly and you would like to start now, that would be amazing. Um, and if you haven't reconsidered your giving in the last 12 months, now would be a good time. But we can separate the two. We, um, teaching this subject focused on us and what it looks like to be like Jesus rather than on the church and what it looks like to be solvent. So this um, te- teaching comes in, in three parts. Next week, we'll uh, get into the generosity as a practice. Following Sunday, when I'm away with the youth, math will give us an overview on giving in the Bible. But uh, today, I'm going to start by looking at the theology of generosity, the spirituality of money. The story is told of a man who gets the opportunity to question God. Um, A billion years, what's that like, he says. And God replies, it's like a second. What's a billion pounds like, says the man. It's like a penny, God says. In that case, says the man, can I have a penny? God replies, sure, just give me a second. The story of creation in the Bible is a story of abundance. Everything that is needed for humans to live Uh, survive, thrive, and multiply is there. The trees, the plants, the animals, the sun, the sea, the sky, the raw materials in the ground. And with it, the human capacity to extract, develop, discover, harness all of these things for good. The potential is all there. God, in his generosity, gives abundantly in his creation. The story of Adam and Eve and their descendants, they choose not to trust God's provision. That's the short version. The problem is not the lack of resource, but a mindset that God cannot be trusted and that they need to take matters into their own hands. That's what the snake in the garden preys on. And so in a world of abundance, a mindset of scarcity takes over and this leads to envy and anger and violence and murder people become rewired to accumulate for themselves at the expense of others possessions become a competition and this is the recurring theme in the bible god provides generously people feel scarcity and it's worth recognizing that jesus is teaching on generosity was given in the context of a financial crisis. Israel was occupied. Um, It was being asset stripped by the Romans. People were losing their homes. Taxes were sky high. Corruption is rampant. That's what being conquered does to a nation. And for those of us who are reading the New Testament in a year together, um, about a dozen of us are doing that. We're currently in a section of Luke's Gospel, chapters 9 to 19, known as Jesus' long journey to Jerusalem. It's the kind of the, the prologue to the chapters we were looking at before Easter, when Jesus arrived um, in Jerusalem, heading to the cross. 
And these chapters, this long journey in Luke, contain the greatest concentration of Jesus' teaching on money and wealth and generosity. The big picture, the big theme, is that Jesus is reframing the place of the poor from the margins to the center. He's teaching that God's kingdom, God's blessing, is for the poor. And in this context of making disciples, a rich ruler um, comes to Jesus. In Matthew's gospel, we're told he's a young man, um, and he's asking what he needs to do to inherit eternal life. And it's worth pointing out that what he's talking about here isn't simply life after death. It's not about um, kind of getting into heaven as we might think of it. Eternal life, literally, the literal translation is life of the age, is what Jesus is offering here and now. His, his kingdom is for a life starting now. This is abundant life. So his question could be framed, how can I get the best out of my life? What does the good life look like? Now you can imagine this man has a lot of money, um, power, Perhaps like so many others in the world today, he's realized that despite this, there's something missing. You know, maybe there's something that he can add that will bring in that sense of fulfillment he's looking for, a little yoga or a special diet or some sort of lifestyle podcast. Jesus takes him through the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, which the man would have been familiar with, and he replies, yep, I've done all that stuff. What's next? You know, money's no object to this guy. I've, I've got plenty. What can, I, what can I buy? What can I add that's going to give me this satisfaction? Jesus' reply is unexpected. Lose the money. Sell what you have. Give to the poor. Come and follow me. Give it up. Become my disciple. That's where life really starts. And notice that Jesus is not on the grab here he doesn't say great come follow me bring bring all your wealth with you (laughs) welcome to the team he says no give it away and come follow me this is about this successful young man and his relationship with money and his life the man is sad um in in matthew's account he goes away grieving because he's so wealthy And Jesus says to his followers, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God, God's kingdom, when you're rich. And suddenly we're back in the Garden of Eden again, because it's all about trust. Jesus said you can't serve both God and money. Equally, you can't trust both God and money. To love and rely on money takes us away from loving and relying on God. 1 Timothy 6 spells this out explicitly. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. You know, notice Paul's not saying that money is evil per se, but that desiring it puts you on a slippery slope. Hence, not money, verse 10, but the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And he uh, kind of goes on to explain how desire for riches leads people away from God and leaves them broken and grieving, he says. Now, that was counterintuitive then. It remains 
countercultural today. Why is the love of money harmful? Compare it to other desires that we think of as dangerous. Money doesn't seem all that bad of a thing, or at least it's a, it's a neutral thing, isn't it, in some senses? But at the heart of the Bible's view of money, it's all about perspective. It's all about a mindset. It's about abundance versus scarcity. It's about generosity versus greed. And it's all about what is good for us. In the Bible, generosity leads to freedom. Greed leads to slavery. Jesus is quoted by the Apostle Paul as saying, it is more blessed to give than to receive. The, the Greek word makarios means happy. It's more happy to give than to receive. And you know, in a way, we know this, don't we? We, we, we teach it. We, we try and teach it, um, I think, to our kids. Do you remember when the um, John Lewis advert, Christmas advert, started to become a thing? Um, you know, started to become a sort of a viral thing. One of the first ones was a story of this little boy who's counting down the days to Christmas. I don't know if you remember this one. Um, he's sort of marking off the days on his calendar, seemingly desperate to get his hands on his presents. Except when the day comes, the big reveal is that the joy he had in his heart was for his parents opening the present that he had got them. Do you remember that? You know, and a million tears of longing proud parents were shed. <laughs> of course, it's not like that in real life, is it? <laughs> Most of the time. You know, generosity is not intuitive. It's a practice to be learned. It's, not, it's an active choice away from the default in this world of greed. If we truly believe that we'd be more happy to give than to receive, the world would look very different. We wouldn't need locks on our doors for a start. But sociologists and psychologists actually say the same thing, that Jesus was right. In The Paradox of Generosity, Christian Smith and Hilary Davison say, those who give receive back in turn. By spending ourselves for others' well-being, we enhance our own standing. This is not only a philosophical or religious teaching, it is a sociological fact. People rightly say that money cannot buy happiness, but money and happiness are related in a curious way. Happiness can be the result of giving money to others. The data examined here show this to not simply be a nice idea, but social scientific fact. John Mark Comer said, in their research, generosity correlates to greater levels of personal happiness, physical health, lower levels of depression, a sense of purpose, and a higher interest in personal growth. Now, who wouldn't want that for themselves? Who wouldn't want that for their children or their parents or their friends? And this comes from a mindset of abundance. And the best place to develop a mindset of abundance is in relationship with a God who loves to give. His creation is a gift. Your life is a gift. And if greed is the disease, the antidote in the way of Jesus is giving. And like everything we seek to do, it's all about taking Jesus for our model to become like him. That's what we're looking at this term. He gave up everything. He gave it all. 
He left his privileged position in heaven, above it all, to become one of us, to mix it with us, to suffer and die as one of us, giving his life for us, so that we might receive his true life, life of the age. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Now, I can't stress enough how uh, this series is not primarily about the church's finances. It's about discipleship. You know, it may be, and my hope is that God will call you into uh, generosity in ways and directions that are nothing to do with the church. You know, that's, that's fine. That's great. This is not about sustaining an organization. It's about Jesus' life in all its fullness for you and experiencing that. So a few applications as we come into land uh, today. We'll get um, a little bit more practical next week. So uh, come with your wallets open. I'm joking. Come with your hearts open. Because that's the only way to come to God, with open hearts. A couple of questions for you to reflect on this week if you've got the opportunity. First, where do you notice yourself holding a scarcity mindset? You know, maybe that's in your home finances or your weekly shop or your giving or your decision-making or your concerns about the future. Where do you find yourself in that grip of scarcity or maybe even in the grip of greed? Second question then, what difference then would it look like to live with a mindset of generosity? What would it look like? What would that feel like? to live with a more generous mindset? And these questions you can reflect on by yourself, but you know, it'd be even better if you could chat about them with um, a partner or a friend or you, in your connect group this week. Um, you know, talking about money can be tricky and awkward, and I genuinely think it reveals what a spiritual battleground it is. But you know, if you can start talking about it with others, carefully chosen others, it's a really liberating thing. Um, I have two friends. We pray for each other. We've journeyed together over the last 10 years of our lives. And one of the things that we try and do when we get together is to talk about our finances and our financial planning and our giving. And that is really valuable. Um, and it's a really vulnerable thing. But I think it's really healthy uh, for us. Final suggestion. Um, invest this week. Not money, uh, but time. Give time to thinking and praying about generosity. You know, this week uh, started with me learning that one of our major income streams from renting the halls is going to stop in the autumn. And my initial reaction was to think, oh no, um, what are we going to do about that? But as I was researching this talk, I found myself um, sort of immersed in and hearing these stories of just incredible generosity, which changed my mindset, just being amongst those stories. You know, I'm not worried now. I know we have a generous God, and that is what matters. We'll be fine. So much of the media is focused on this narrative of scarcity, isn't it? So look for generosity this week. Look for stories of generosity. Get caught up in the narrative of God's abundance. He's given us so much. 
I'll include a few resources on that in this week's um, email, news email. If you don't receive the, the email and you'd like to, um, come find me or John or Maggie after the service and we'll get you onto the system. But come back next week and we'll get into some more practical applications of this and I'll uh, share some of those stories of generosity and abundance. <laughs>